Welcome back. It's Monday, the 19th day of February, 2024. I'm your host, Mark Hall. And just by way of passing, isn't it interesting to note that this is the day that was once celebrated as the birthday of America's first president, the man who could have been king but chose not to be. And how's that for a real change on so many fronts? Today, all the presidents combined, including the outright traitors, Merit one day, which is a little bit less than your average scriptural abomination gets annually, and certainly a lot less than the 30 days that are afforded by most of the way stream for having pride in something the scripture says uh, not only don't do, but it's really, really bad. Oh, well, obviously the nation at least celebrates perversion nowadays instead of the important stuff. Oh, and speaking of which, isn't it ironic that leads to our first story, the story that happened pretty much late enough in the afternoon on Friday that most of the Waystream didn't cover it, and then they did big time, but who was paying attention over the weekend? And since the markets were going to be closed today anyway, haha, they got away with it on that front too. So let's start with the Daily Mail's coverage first and their headline, then I'll tell you the truth about it. Verdict reached, it says, hardy-har, in Donald Trump's $370 million fraud, sick, trial, sick, in New York. The big lie here is obvious. The verdict, such as it was, was reached even before they came up with the bogus charges. But that's not what worrying me. It's how to do it. These things must be done delicately, or you hurt the staff. Says their coverage, President Donald Trump and his family business have been fined a devastating, and it was intended to be, 364 million bucks. That's over a third of a billion bucks, folks, for a non-crime, for inflating property prices, so they say. And here's the irony they're not going to report. If they can force a fire sale, they can deflate those property values criminally a whole lot more. What do you bet that some of the very same folks that have been crying crocodile tears about how much they're worth are salivating at the idea of being able to buy them for pennies on the dollar? Following what they laughably call a blockbuster fraud trial, sick, in New York. It wasn't a trial, folks, and it wasn't even a circus. And it wasn't even highway robbery, because very few people carry a third of a billion bucks on the highway. It was a gang rape and a literal gutting. No, there really is a better word, and it's ever so appropriate if you think about it. It was a lynching. So the claim is that he did something which harmed absolutely nobody, for which the bankers that made the loans were happy about and got paid off, but because supposedly he overvalued things, when in fact they undervalued things, they want to find him an additional $370 million plus interest. Essentially what they're trying to do is to say, how dare you run for president, we will bankrupt you. The real fraud, of course, was committed by the court and Letitia James and this scumbag who poses as a judge named Arthur Engeron and said in the probably and said in the arguably pre-written decision, there's a claim here based on fraudulent activity. So disgorgement, he said, may be available as an equitable remedy, notwithstanding the absence of loss to actual individuals or independent claims for actual restitution. Isn't that amazing? Disgorgement, he said, with a little bit of a chuckle, I'm sure, is distinct from the remedy of restitution, which is actually scripture-based, folks, but doesn't ever get done in the United States, at least not when it really matters, because he says disgorgement, quote, focuses on the gain to the wrongdoer, at least the one we claim is a wrongdoer, as opposed to actual loss to the victim. Thus, disgorgement aims to deter wrongdoing, or again, whatever we say it is, by preventing the wrongdoer from being able to run for president, or uh, or, uh, um, retaining ill-gotten gains from the so-called fraudulent conduct. Now, folks, I can't help but remind you of another guy, famously, who was in New York and had 
actual fraudulent or worse kind of conduct. You may know the name. Uh, No, he didn't commit suicide in prison. Jeffrey Epstein. He was probably a wrongdoer. Certainly there's a whole lot of victims, like rape women and dead people, some of whom can testify, some that can't. If you weren't Arthur Angeron or on the take for Letitia James or other scumbags in New York making way for criminals while trying the innocent for non-crimes... You might be forgiven for thinking that Jeffrey Epstein is probably somebody who should have had to disgorge some of his hundreds of millions of bucks that he got from, oh, I don't know, selling little boys and girls into sex slavery and maybe sacrificing more than a few to Satan on his pedo island. But not a peep from these perps on that perversion. And ironically, folks, Jeffrey Epstein, they did eventually put in jail, and somebody managed to do some wet work on him, not because he was planning on running for president, mind you. I suspect he probably loved America more than those that are occupying the Oval Orifice today. But no, he's almost certainly gone because, you know it, dead men tell no tales. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! And if you are mad as hell, folks, and you should be, you might at least get a chuckle out of this next story. We will, of course, maybe see how it develops. Over the weekend, it begins, a trucker who goes by the title Chicago Ray shared a video on socialist media where he explained why truckers across America are planning to stop deliveries to commie central New York City and the likes of Angeron and Letitia James. I mean, think about it. Why would honest people, why should honest people support thieves? And evidently, it went viral. Truckers for Trump is trending, say some reports. Now says TGP's coverage, TikTok user Survival Junkie 2 reports that a company previously expected to provide a load for transportation to New York has announced that they are no longer going to have any loads destined for the whole state. Said the story there, I just received a call from a company that I was getting a load from, and they said they don't have any loads going to New York. So if you're in New York, you won't be receiving anything from these drivers. And he suggested that the decision is not now limited to just individual truckers, but is a strategic move by some of the companies themselves. Said the driver, I don't know if it's real, but I do know that the trucking companies are now saying they're not delivering loads. Not just the truckers, it's the company. And also, he said, get yourself prepared. New York's shit may hit the fan in the next couple of days. And how many truckers intend to participate? Well, that, folks, is the 64,000 trucker question, writes Jim Hoff. Aside from first responders, is there any other profession in the United States that so proudly wears patriotism on its sleeves like the American trucker? And I can't help but think back to the border protests from just a little over a week ago, when people were essentially discouraged from attending because of the threat, the very real threat, of various three-letter agencies coming in and betting agent provocateurs and hauling people off J6 style. So... A lot of people probably decided not to go and be j six, but to stay home. Now, interestingly, they can do the same thing. Just don't go. They don't actually have to go anywhere to participate in this particular put-down of the communist kleptocrat state. All they got to do is just say, no, I'm not going to go to Crime Central. Let them disgorge a little of their own treason. Zero Hedge and Tyler Durden took a look at some of the hashtag trends over the weekend, and they noted that besides New York City, truckers on X are also calling for drivers to boycott other leftist cesspool cities. Said one of them, what this country needs is a good old-fashioned trucker boycott of Democrat-run cities. The left needs to be reminded of who really runs this country. It's got hashtags like hashtag MAGA, Trump 2024, truckers for Trump, and so on. Another one said, liberals laugh at the thought of a trucker boycott of NYC, but a few years ago, a trucker boycott brought the state of Colorado to its knees. MAGA patriots, this fella continued, make this country run. Liberals make our coffee. And Zero Hedge asked, well, just what would happen if the trucks stopped running and decided we aren't going to support criminals, period. And if you don't like that, well, see how you can do without us. 
After all, they note, truck drivers transport between 70 to 73 percent of all freight in the United States. Therefore, when truckers seriously begin discussing plans on social media to boycott progressive hellholes like New York City, people had better pay attention. Within 24 hours, noted at least one of their graphics, delivery of medical supplies to the affected area stops. Hospitals begin to run out of basic supplies like syringes. Service stations begin to run out of fuel. Manufacturers relying on just-in-time deliveries that won't have them. Mail and other package delivery will cease. Within one day, food shortages start to develop, probably sooner in NYC, and so forth down the line. Within two to three days, food shortages escalate. Supplies of essentials like bottled water, powdered milk, and canned meat at major retailers disappears. ATMs run out of cash. You get the picture. Within a week, says the piece, automobile travel ceases due to lack of fuel. Two weeks, the nation's clean water supply begins to run out, and by week four, the clean water is largely exhausted. Kind of makes you wonder, how long will the leftists who want to punish MAGA and Trump decide they're willing to be punished themselves for their evil? By Saturday morning, continues Zero Hedge, Chicago Ray's video had amassed three million or so views, and that came immediately after so-called Judge Ingeron's lawfare lynching. I'm probably going to have to bleep this next part just a little bit, folks, but in the video, Chicago Ray said, quote, I don't know how far across the country this is or how many truckers are going to start denying loads to NYC, but I'll tell you, you F around and find out. He continued, we're tired of motherfucking leftists fucking with Trump, okay? You MFers, you're going to get tired of this shit. Our bosses aren't going to care if we deny loads. We'll go somewhere else. And he added, do you know how hard it is to get in and out of New York City anyway? You kind of get the impression, folks, that these people have had enough, and yep, they are mad as hell and don't seem to want to take it anymore. Arguably because they know that if they can do it to the guy who was actually president of the United States and did get reelected, their rigs and everything else they have is equally at risk. Why not just say no and provide goods and services to people who actually, well, at least don't hate you? Hey, I've got a good slogan for them. Why not? I'd rather drive a load to hell than New York City. Oh, maybe that's redundant. Item, and this might be compare and contrast, but sadly, not as much as you'd hope. The Biden Fuhrer on Friday departed the whorehouse en route to East Palestine, Ohio, for a flyby photo op. The people pulling his strings decided he should begrudgingly visit East Palestine more than one year after the toxic train crash, which deposited a whole lot of toxic hazardous materials in the countryside, including a number of cars carrying vinyl chloride, which they decided to burn and turn into even worse chemicals like dioxins. The Biden Fuhrer was greeted by protesters, including little girls who, well, didn't want their hair sniffed. One of them had a sign that said exactly that. Another one said, uh, resident is not the same as president. And it was painfully obvious, too, says TGP's coverage, that the Biden Fuhrer didn't want to be in East Palestine. He doesn't care about the people who were affected by that toxic train crash anyway. Besides, he doesn't have the brain power either. He was in bad shape, says the coverage. He slurred his words, blew his nose, and malfunctioned in real time. He spoke for seven minutes, was so disengaged, he struggled to read his prepared speech, and ultimately had to be handled out of the room. Well, after that is, his handlers forced the press out of the room first. One of whom shouted, any message to residents who question why it took a whole year just to visit as he was being shooed out? This piece by Professor Jonathan Turley is a good follow-up to that. We've previously discussed, he begins, the increasingly aggressive role of the White House Counsel's Office in defending the fake president, Joe Biden, including spreading disinformation about various investigations. Sick. WHCO spokeslayer Ian Sams has taken the lead in attacking critics and denying facts related to obvious corruption and other allegations. And now, even the White House Correspondents Association is blasting a memo, and he has a copy, in which the 
Waco instructs reporters on how to cover, or probably better put, not cover, the recent her report, right, where they declared that the Biden fear was too senile to prosecute, and allegations of the president's diminished faculties, to put it very mildly. Sam's, continues Professor Turley, is not a lawyer. He is a liar, however, folks. He is also a political operative who's worked extensively for Democrat candidates and the DNC, including a stint with none other than Hillary Clinton. And he's recently been accused by the former head of the White House Correspondents Association, and he notes my former student, John Decker, of giving false statements concerning the special counsel's report. And this isn't the first time there have been controversies over instructions given to the media by the whorehouse. Indeed, he observes, when the so-called president recently snapped at a reporter saying, that is not the judgment of the press when it comes to his senility, he seemed to be saying the quiet part out loud when it comes to the ability of the whorehouse to dictate its coverage. And in this, concludes Professor Turley, Ian Sam's work is precariously close, some of us might say, and he does too, not just to the line, but even over it, drawn in past impeachments in an effort to swat back investigations into corruption allegations. And he said, Sam's effort to spit out these, spin out these scandals, haha, <laughs> could easily end up spinning the White House into an actual impeachment. And of course, it should have a long, long time ago. Maybe they'll decide the 25th Amendment is the easier way out. Honestly, folks, I can't help but think really the easiest way out for the far left and the deep state swamp would be just to kill him and then blame somebody that they want to frame for something else anyway. You know, blankety blank and well, they got a whole lot of judges that'll back him up on it. They just have to figure out how to take care of the heels-in-the-air Kamala Harris problem first. Oh, yeah, and here's a quick story. No surprise whatsoever, but certainly it is uh, shattering. From the Epic Times, the cesspool central People's Republic of San Francisco and its so-called election commission, what a misnomer there, has, for what is believed to be the first time in once free America's history, appointed a non-U.S. citizen who isn't even legally allowed to vote to serve as an official. But I guess they're openly thinking, you can go ahead and rig it. What do you bet they'll let her vote anyway? Maybe more than once. Let's start to wrap things up today with a quick flashback to early January of this year and a piece by John Anisha Whitehead, which begins with a reference to a famous Twilight Zone episode, courtesy of the late, great Rod Serling. I remember this one. When I was a kid, I saw it, even though it didn't quite make as much sense to me as it would now. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, it was called. And he asked this question, will 2024 be the year that the deep states exercise in controlled chaos, like Rod Serling predicted so many decades before, finally gives way to an apocalyptic dismantling of our constitutional republic? Or, as he puts it, and I would hardly agree, what's left of it? All the signs, though, seem to point in that direction, because for years now, Big Brother has been pushing us to the brink of national nervous breakdown. And that breakdown, triggered by polarizing circus politics, media-fed mass hysteria, militarization, and militainment, i.e. the selling of war and violence as if it was entertainment, and a sense of hopelessness and powerlessness in the face of growing corruption, the government's alienation from its populace, an economy that has much of the population struggling to get by, and that, of course, folks, is by design. All of this, he says, has manifested itself in the polarized, manipulated mayhem, madness, and tyranny that is life in the American police state today. Why, he asked, is Big Brother and its deep state engineering this societal madness? What's in it for the government? What's playing out before us, he suggests, is a chilling lesson in social engineering, socialist engineering, really, that keeps the populace fixated on circus politics and conveniently timed spectacles and distracted from focusing too closely on the Big Brother power grabs that continue to go on in plain sight, 
while at the same time it's incapable of standing united in defense of our freedoms. It's not conspiratorial, he suggests. It's a power play. Back to Rod Serling, the creator of The Twilight Zone, who he suggests understood the dynamics behind this power play. In that episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, Serling imagined a world in which the powers that be carried out a social experiment to see how long it would take before the members of a small American neighborhood, frightened by the sudden loss of electric power and caught up in fears of the unknown, boy, how's that for prescient, folks, will transform itself into an irrational mob and turn on each other. Answer, doesn't take long at all. Likewise, in the recent Netflix film, the apocalyptic thriller, courtesy this time of the Barack Hussein Obama crime family, entitled Leave the World Behind, unexplained crises lead to a technological blackout that leaves the populace disconnected, disoriented, isolated, suspicious, and under attack from mysterious ailments and, of course, each other. And as one of its characters speculates, the culprit behind the escalating catastrophes which range from Wi-Fi outages and mysterious health ailments to cities under siege from rogue forces, might be the result of a military campaign intended to destabilize a nation by forcing the people to turn against each other. Well, says Whitehead, it's not really so far-flung a scenario when you consider some of the many ways Big Brother has already gotten the ability to manufacture crises in order to sow fear fuel hysteria, destabilize the nation, and institute martial law. Now, he's going to go through a list here, but up front, I can't help but note, there are those who would claim, and once upon a time I would have been among them, that government is largely incompetent at doing anything, to which all I have to qualify now is, well, anything productive. But when it comes to destruction, remember, the adversary, and guess who they're serving here, comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that, folks, they've shown they are really blankety blanking good at. Okay, here's Whitehead's list. One, the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture health crises. Yep, that's been clear since long before the COVID-1984 lockdown and two-part bioweapon that is still killing people by the millions. Early in Fauci's career, they were creating lethal viruses and unleashing them on an unsuspecting public. Another item in his list is that the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture civil unrest and political upheaval. Since the days of J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI has been using agent provocateurs to infiltrate activist groups and, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize them, or use them as the case may be. Third item in the list is that Big Brother has the tools and the know-how to manufacture economic instability. Gee, do you think? Come on. They've been manufacturing currency and with it economic instability, including but not limited to inflation, for over a century now. Eventually it'll come apart, but not before they profit massively on the way down, too. How about this one? The government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture environmental disasters. Developed in 1947, notes Whitehead, Project Cirrus was an early precursor to HARP, the high-altitude active auroral research project and Big Brother's weather-altering agency, which attempted to disable our hurricane as it was moving out to sea. And instead of weakening the storm, the government was able to steer it straight into Georgia, resulting in millions of dollars of damaged properties. And guess what? Some suggest, and I would be among those who certainly see the evidence here, they've been doing it ever since. But that's not all. Item, the government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture communications blockouts. There are things like the Internet and cell phone kill switches, which enable Big Brother to shut down communications at a moment's notice. It's a practice that's been used in the U.S. 
For example, in 2005, cell service was disabled in four major New York tunnels, allegedly to avert potential bomb detonations via cell phone. In 2009, those attending the Obama regime inauguration had their signals blocked, again, at least allegedly for the same reasons. And in 2011, San Francisco commuters saw their cell phone signals shut down, this time to thwart possible protests associated with a police shooting. Funny how they only shut down some protests now, isn't it? Here next, one that's painfully obvious, Big Brother has the tools and the know-how to manufacture terrorist attacks, or when necessary, as now, just to let the terrorists in by the, well, millions at least, and then groom them, send them, relocate them, equip them for whatever it is that they've got planned. This includes targeting vulnerable individuals, no Whitehead, feeding them with propaganda, know-how, and weapons intended to turn them into terrorists, if they don't already come in as terrorists for some foreign nation, gang, or cartel, and then arrest them when they feel like it as part of an elaborately orchestrated counterterrorism sting. Then there's this one. The government has the tools and the know-how to manufacture propaganda. Gee, do you think? Aimed at mind control and psyops or psychological warfare. Not long ago, the Pentagon was compelled to order a sweeping review of its clandestine U.S. psychological warfare ops or psyops conducted through social media platforms. The investigation came in response to reports suggesting, can you imagine this, that the U.S. military had been creating bogus persons with AI-generated profile pictures and fictitious media sites on things like to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in order to, who could have thought it, manipulate social media users. Of the many weapons in Big Brother's vast arsenal, psyops, or psychological warfare, can take many forms, from mind control experiments, behavioral nudging, propaganda, to, of course, the ever-popular and still-increasing media twisting and election rigging. In fact, the CIA is known to have spent nearly $20 million on its MK Ultra program, back when that was real money, reportedly as a means of programming people to carry out assassinations and, to a lesser degree, inducing anxieties and erasing memories before it was allegedly, and do we even believe this for a second, shut down. Or at least it got a new code name and another more secret level of clearance required to see what was going on. We must never forget, says Whitehead, that the government no longer exists to serve its people, if in fact it ever did, to protect their liberties and ensure their happiness. That was back when we had a constitution, folks, and people actually thought that it really mattered. Rather, he says, we the people are the unfortunate victims of the diabolical machinations of a make-works program carried out on an epic scale whose only purpose is to keep the powers that be permanently and, of course, profitably employed. And this, he notes, is how tyranny rises and freedom falls. Almost every Every tyranny now being perpetrated by Big Brother, the once U.S. government, against its citizenry, purportedly to keep us safe and the nation secure, yeah, sure, has come about as a result of some threat manufactured in one way or another by what was once our very own government. Think about it. You've heard the terms. Cyber warfare, terrorism, biochemical attacks, the nuclear arms race, surveillance, the drug wars, domestic extremism, white supremacism, the only kind of actual racism that's even allowed to be admitted. And, of course, the COVID-1984 pandemic. And in almost every instance, says Whitehead, Big Brother, the U.S. government, has in its typical Machiavellian fashion sown the seeds of terror, both domestically and internationally, in order to expand its own totalitarian powers.
Consider, he adds, that this very same government has taken every single bit of technology sold to us as being in our own best interest, GPS devices, surveillance, non-lethal weapons, you name it, and instead used it against us to track, trap, and control us. Are you getting the picture yet? Big Brother isn't protecting us from threats to our freedoms. The U.S. government is creating the threats to our freedoms. And it's telling that in that movie, Leave the World Behind, before disaster strikes, the main characters, on their way to a family vacation, are utterly oblivious, connected to their electronic devices and insulated from each other as well as the world around them. And adding to the disconnect, the family's teen daughter, Rose, is fixated on binge-watching episodes of Friends, even as the world falls apart around them. As TV critic Jen Chaney explains, the sitcom's presence in the story, quote, underlines how human beings crave escapism at the expense of embracing the the actual present, a different way of leaving the world behind. We're in a similar escapist bubble, says Whitehead, suffering from a crisis of the now, which keeps us distracted, deluded, amused, and insulated from reality. Which is more than a bit ironic, folks, since it's that reality that is intended to take everything you have and ultimately destroy you. So I guess it turns out, as usual, that the real reality is a thing we ought to be paying a lot more attention to. And we've been given all the information we need on that score for quite a while now, if only we would read the book. Thanks for being with us, folks. Be sure to keep paying attention, and may Yahuwah bless you and yours. 